Awesome. Hey, everybody. Yo, yo. And that was, I didn't get as much as Matt, but I didn't expect <laughs> as much of a welcome as Matt Lee. Can't expect something like that. So I'm excited to get up here tonight. We are doing a ser- sermon series on the heart of worship. Um, and so we are reframing the heart of worship as love for Jesus. And I get to do it on worshiping God and connecting with worship for him through confessing our weakness. And so I'm super excited to to preach through that, to talk through that and share some things with you. Um, But I'd love to pray first. Father, thank you so much um, for tonight um, and just the um, ability to come to your scriptures, to your word, to the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of your kingdom, Father. Here and now, that we can know you, we can be your children, we can have you as our Father, loved and cared for. Um, Thank you that our weaknesses don't separate us from you, but our weaknesses draw your heart to us, um, that we would find you more beautiful, lovely, amazing, kind, and gracious, more than we could ever imagine. I ask that your word would be spoken tonight. Holy Spirit, invite you into this place. I invite you to come, I invite you to speak. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was probably four or five. Um, I, I'm assuming around the age of my daughter, um, who's four with amazing, crazy hair and a personality to match the crazy hair. Um, she's wild. She does some crazy stuff all the time. Um, I often, Ellie, what are you doing? <laughs> what happened here? There's no explanation. Um, And what's cool is I prepared for this sermon, a memory came to me very clear. Um, And I think it's clear for a really specific reason. Um, And it also made me realize that um, as much as I would love to think it, I'm not much different than my daughter was at at her age. Um, I remember my, um, my parents used to plead with me to stop standing in the toilet and treating it like some amazing like surf bowl. I don't know why, I remember doing it and there was no like, no like thought of why I was doing it, but I remember doing it. Um, and I just think of these things where like my kids now, I'm like, what are you doing? Caleb was five or six, I let him water the, the fig tree in the backyard. He just comes in the back of our house, just in our living room, just like, yes, just all over the walls, over the couches. And it's just like, I don't, like, what is going through your mind? The answer is nothing is going through their mind. They are reacting to what they want to do. Um, and I have a distinct memory when I was in my parents' house, one-story house with one guest bathroom. My parents were having people over, and I was in my guest, the guest bathroom of my parents' house, and I found my dad's shaving cream. Um, again, no reasoning, but I do remember just going to town. I plastered the entire bathroom with white shaving cream, my whole body covered in shaving cream, everything covered in shaving cream. And, but I remember why it's probably so distinct in my mind, for whatever reason, that moment as a five, probably five-year-old, I was hit with such shame and a recognition of this is a mess that is a big deal. For me, at least, it was a big deal. And I knew my parents were having people over and I was distraught. And I knew one, a couple things that there was no way I could clean it up. It was a mess that was beyond my control. It was a mess that only I was responsible for. And I had obviously no answer for it. And so I remember <clears throat> going out into the living room 
weeping. <clears throat> and I just, all I could do was go to my dad, crying and saying, Dad, please forgive me. I, I don't know why, please forgive me. And I remember that moment and why it sticks out to me so well um, is he met me with such kindness. It was a mess that I, I couldn't clean up. And he laughed with me. It was probably less of a big deal to them than it was to me. Um, but I remember him laughing. I remember him saying, it's, it's okay. It's gonna be okay. Um, and I couldn't clean it up. So my dad and my mom ended up cleaning it up. And I remember it so distinctly because I think we've all had those moments when we've made just a complete mess of things, whether as an adult or a kid, um, and being met with, being able to come with nothing. I can't help you, I can't repay you. All I have is this mess that I made, and being forgiven, and being helped, and, being, and just receiving kindness and love. Nothing else, without being able to bring anything other than my own sin, or my own failures. So I want us to ta- that to take us to Luke 7. So if you could turn to Luke 7, we're gonna start in verse 36. Um, I wanna talk about two areas of worship that come in our lives to our Father, to God, to our Lord Jesus, that are uniquely expressed and only found in confessing our own weaknesses. And the first weakness that we have is the mess that we've made of things, our own sin and our own failures. And Luke 7, starting in verse 36, we're gonna read to 47, is an amazing and beautiful story, probably very controversial at that time. Um, Jesus is going about doing ministry and verse 36 starts, says one of the Pharisees, this is a religious leader of the day, um, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house. And if you, as I read this, if you do a practice of just maybe putting yourself there, maybe imagining what this scene might have been like as I read. He went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she had learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven 
for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And that's, that little phrase is, is what has stuck out to me as I've sat with this. He who is forgiven little loves little. We know the first part of the great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus is saying, forgiven little, love God little. So we say forgiven much, we learn to love God much. That's where the worship comes from. That's where the love for Jesus comes from when we know that we are forgiven much. So the question that I have is, what keeps us from being forgiven much? What, how do we end up being forgiven little? Um, I see that in, in four different ways. But if you'll indulge me, I, I wanna share one last parable that Jesus shared in Luke 18. Don't feel the need to go there. But Jesus told the story about some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. It starts in verse nine of Luke 18. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a 10th of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think the first and most clear reason we end up being forgiven little is just our self-righteousness. It's our delusion that God doesn't have a lot to forgive us. That we look around and we see other people and it's just easy to like, I'm just, I'm not doing as bad as that person. And we lose sight of the immense forgiveness that God has for us. And when we do that, when that happens, everything breaks down. Our ability to enjoy him, to love him, to grow in holiness, all of it breaks down. We have to know that we aren't self-righteous. We have a God who has made us righteous through faith in Jesus. So one of my favorite quotes is a guy, from a guy named Jack Deere. He was doing a, uh, a talk and a little sermon, and um, he said, I have, in his spiritual journey, in his walk with Jesus, he noticed a stark difference in what he calls, I've noticed the difference of when I feel spiritual or when I feel loved. When I feel spiritual or when I feel loved. When I feel spiritual, I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job. I've checked off most of the boxes. I've fasted twice a week and given a tenth of my income, like the Pharisee would say. But when I feel loved, something totally different happens in me. There's a fruit of being loved that is light years and universe difference than feeling like I'm spiritual. There is a, um, a guy named John Newton who was a slave ship captain or he worked on slave ships. He was a absolute wretch in his words. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Um, and he, he wrote so beautifully on just how this works for us in our lives with God. When we encounter his love 
in his mercy, he says the only remedy to self-righteousness, the only remedy to experiencing the worship and love for Jesus is that after long experience of their own deceitful hearts, after repeated proofs of their own weakness, willfulness, ingratitude, insensibility, they find that none of these things can separate them from the love of God. Jesus becomes more and more precious to their souls. They love much because much has been forgiven of them. And the fruit of receiving this forgiveness, whoever is truly humbled by this, will not be easily angry, nor harsh or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners. Knowing that if there was a difference, it's grace alone that's made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. I don't know about you, but that's the person I wanna be. Not critical, not filled with um, comparison. Um, I want that gentleness, that kindness. And it just we see it so clearly in these two stories that the Pharisees, they weren't thinking at all about the way that God had met them. They were thinking about what they had accomplished for God, the things that they had done for God. And, and yet, the person who came with the most sin went away rejoicing. In fact, Jesus said at the end, your faith has saved you, go in peace. He didn't say that to the Pharisee. He said it to the prostitute who came weeping, wouldn't even stand in front of Jesus, came behind his feet, went down to his feet. Normally you anoint the head with oil. She, she couldn't even get that high. She stayed at his feet. And the tax collector who said, I, I can't even look, like, God have mercy on me. Jesus says, that's the one that went away justified. And he told the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy. I desire compassion. And, and he knew that the only way that we get there is we experience the love and mercy of God through Jesus who cleanses us, who, who takes away every sin and doesn't say, I want you to repay me. I want you to feel the weight of this, sit in this for a while. He wants to set us free. So that's the other piece of how we are forgiven, how we can be forgiven little, is we can still have a lot of stuff to be forgiven of. We can actually know that we are filled with sin and just be absolutely sitting in shame and still be forgiven little. The, the prostitute came in, Jesus said, her sins are many. And the reality is we can also come to Jesus, or we actually can be operating in this world with our sins being many, but we don't come to Jesus because of shame, because of hiding, because we don't think God will respond to us like a loving father who wants to wipe it away and to start over, who wants a clean slate, who doesn't wanna hold it, he doesn't want us to sit with it, he wants us to move forward with him. The tax collector obviously felt the weight of his sin and rebellion against God. Feeling the weight of our sin, feeling the shame of it, it's not a bad thing. We're designed to live in God's world, in right relationship with each other. And so feeling that weight is not a bad thing. It's when we don't come to God with it. It's when we feel like we have to hide, we have to distract ourselves with other things. We have to, we, we can't, we can't come to God in that way. 
But it's cool that Jesus says, I tell you the sinner, not the Pharisee who's justified. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's God's heart that when we're faced with our own wickedness, he wants to exalt us, but we have to humble ourselves before him first. We have to be able to come and confess our own weakness and come similarly to like make this mess in my parents' bathroom. I have nothing to cover it up. I can't do anything, but so often we do everything else that we can before coming to God with just openness and just the rawness of this is how it really is. This is how bad it's gotten. And I need you to wash it away. But God's heart is to do just that. He loves to take our shame. Jesus said to that woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And God longs to say that to us. When we are burdened with our own sin, God's heart, his desire, is that he would look in our eyes and say, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. The other thing that I, keep, I think allows us to sit in this place of being forgiven little and loving little um, is a lack of confession. Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. My experience um, throughout my walk with Jesus is that when I am unable to confess my own sin to another human being, it is almost impossible for me to receive the forgiveness of God um, fully and completely. Um, to believe, to come in front of another flesh and blood human and lay that open and be loved in return. Um, there's so much power in that. There's so much that opens up the door of God's forgiveness that we actually receive it. Because the, the question is not whether there is forgiveness, it's whether we can actually receive that forgiveness and live in it, live free, completely free. Um, one other thing that I wanted to say, um, just as a um, testimony, is that in my life, um, one of the most powerful um, things that has created the most intimacy in my marriage um, is getting with Kara and opening up to her my own failures and being raw about them, things that, that I, where I have wronged her or just shameful things in my past or shameful things um, in the present um, and her doing the same. Um, there's something that that has done for us and for our relationship that has created some of the deepest intimacy. Um, so I would, I would commend that it is not easy and it's not always the right timing, but I really believe that that is a huge piece of coming together in our marriages. And the last thing that I, keep, I think keeps us um, from being forgiven much and loving much um, is a really hard one. It's, it's unforgiveness of others. Um, because so many in this room have been wronged deeply by other people um, at levels that I'm unaware of, some that I know. Um, and there is a reality that is really clear in scripture that God doesn't wanna leave us there. He, he will give us the help that we need. If we feel like forgiveness of other people is impossible, 
I love the songs, we're gonna talk more about this in a second, but I love the songs that, we sung, that we've sung this, this evening that Eddie sang, that same God, that there is a way, that God will make a way. Um, there's such a block of receiving God's forgiveness for us when we are not able to forgive others. Jesus said it in his prayer as he taught his friends, his disciples to pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive everyone who's wronged us. Another way to say that is, I forgive all those who've wronged me just like I've been forgiven. It starts with his forgiveness of us, it has to. Um, so we go there and we understand the depth of his love and just how he forgives us. As far as the east is from the west, he holds no record of wrong. Isn't that amazing? Gosh, I, hold, I, I don't know you guys, I hold some records of wrong. And it, it, takes, it takes a lot for me to lay down those records of wrongs that other people have put against me. And God just doesn't do that. We have to seek him, we have to come to him, we have to get close enough to know his heart and to understand that is how he is. That's really what he's like. Um, and until we do that, um, there's just a love for him that, um, that won't be in our lives and in our hearts. Um, it's so contingent on our ability to be forgiven. We, um, through confessing that weakness, um, we encounter a God that's better than we thought. When we really screw up, like the tax collector or the, the woman of the city who is a sinner, when we really screw up and when we encounter just extravagant love from the God who's holy, completely holy, and he just receives us and he accepts us, there's nothing that, that, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that worship and love that comes from that. But the other piece of the weakness in our lives is we live in this broken world. And maybe it's not our own sin. Maybe it's not our own failures. We live in a world at war. We live in a world where the Bible says it's ruled by Satan. It's ruled by the adversary of God. So as Jesus's people, especially, we encounter just so much disappointment and pain and hardships. And Jesus promised it. He said, just in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid. But he promised that there would be difficulty. So there's so many things that we encounter in this world because we're weak and we're vulnerable. Jesus entered into this world weak and vulnerable and he experienced the full spectrum of a pain, disappointment, loss, everything. Feeling the effects of this brokenness in this world are inevitable. But there's something about going through the pain of this world not that what we cause, but maybe through relational pain, maybe through sickness, maybe through persecution. And we don't have to look far. I mean, we just, the news is full of it. This world is broken. There's tragedy and sadness. But for God's people, there is this reality of we live in a world of trouble, but there's also another reality that we're God's kids. 
and that the scripture says, and New Testament talks about over and over and over again, that God does not waste the pain. He doesn't waste the hardship. He doesn't waste the difficulty. If we'll let him, if we'll open ourselves up, if we will trust him, if we will put our lives in his hands, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the pain, what he brings through that, the worship that he brings, the love for Jesus, the experience of who God is, that also is a unique and irreplaceable form of worship that nothing else can produce. The, the, the different parts of the New Testament say some crazy stuff, like James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness having its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those are hard things to hear, um, but we're, we're not hearing in that that we count it joy, those things that are bad. The things that are hard, the things that are broken in this world are, are just bad. There's no other explanation because the story that we live in is Jesus entered into this mess announcing the good news of the kingdom of God, saying that this world will not stay as it is. There's a plan Jesus didn't just come to forgive us and restore us to God, he did, but he came to restore all things. And so as God's kids, we have a hope and an expectation of a future that the world does not have, that God is working right now here to make all things new, and we get to step in and be a part of it. But he's not just doing that through us, he's doing that in us, through the pain of this world. So we count it joy, not because we like what we're going through, we're not making things up and living in a fantasy world, we count it joy because we believe, we really believe at a core level, even before we feel it, even before we see it, that he is my father who loves me and he is working this thing for my good. And that he won't disappoint me. One of the most clear pictures of this um, is a book that some of you may have heard of, it's called The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom, um, I know that most of you have read that book as a kid. I read it as a kid and then I read it as an adult probably a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and I'll just say it hit me in a different way. It was really, really powerful um, and kind of wrecked my world for a few weeks. And it still is, it's, it's obviously still with me. Um, Corey uh, had a sister named Betsy Corey and Betsy, long story, they um, lived during World War II, they hid Jews in their house to protect them against Nazi concentration camps and death. Um, and as they did that, they themselves got taken to concentration camps. Their dad, who was this amazing man, a saint, was taken and ended up uh, dying alone in a corridor of a hospital, neglected, um, completely alone, um, a man who had orchestrated these um, this amazing sacrifice of hiding these Jews. And Corey and Betsy in, eventually ended up in a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Um, and it was just a complete understatement to say um, a horrific place that it's kind of shocking to see that humans can do this, what this concentration camp did to other humans. And they found themselves there. And they found themselves in the barracks um, of the Ravensbrook after um, 
a journey that Corey took of really believing God, wrestling with how can this be okay? God, what are you doing? Betsy was a little bit further ahead of Corey and her faith um, in believing God. But they found themselves in, a constant, in one of the barracks reading these words, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Corey writes this after she read those words in Romans. It was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute, poor, hated, hungry. We were more than conquerors. Not we shall be, we are. Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God, grew daily better, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Remind me of Paul who said, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. There was something that Corey and Betsy understood, realized, and received of who God was for them only in the middle of the worst possible situation. But it wasn't just seeing God come through when circumstances didn't make sense and the circumstances didn't lead to peace or joy, but they were experiencing it. They were living in it because the spirit of God was in them working in this concentration camp. The other piece was the fellowship that they had with Jesus. There's something that the suffering of this world that Jesus entered into, whether it's persecution or whether it's just experiencing the vulnerability of living in this world that Jesus entered into, there's an intimacy, there's a knowledge, there's a knowing of him that Paul talked about, the fellowship of his sufferings um, that can only be found in those places of pain and hardship in seeking him, clinging to Jesus in the middle of that. Um, this was brought so uh, beautifully to life to me as Corey went on to tell the story of her and Betsy in Ravensbrook. She said that every Friday, the Germans would line up these women to do their med medical exam, every Friday. Um, and they made them take off all their clothes. So they're completely naked, um, totally emaciated, um, barely fed, skin and bones, bloated bellies. And they made them walk through this corridor with all the German soldiers watching, smirking, um, mocking them. And they did their medical exam and they came back. And shortly after God was doing this work in Corey, they had to do that Friday walk. And this is what she writes, but it was one of these mornings while we were waiting, shivering in the corridor, that another page in the Bible leapt into life for me. He hung naked on the cross. I had not known and I had not thought. The painting, the carved crucifix, showed at least a scrap of cloth, but this, I suddenly knew, was the respect and reverence of the artist. But oh, at the time, on that other Friday morning, there had been no reverence. No more than I saw in the faces around us now. I leaned toward Betsy ahead of me in line. Her shoulder blades stood out sharp, and thin beneath her blue mottled skin. 
I said, Betsy, they took his clothes too. And ahead of me, I heard a little gasp. Oh, Corey, and I had never thanked him. What they received that day, um, we miss, I miss most of my days. The fellowship they had there, humiliated by the evil of this world, was something that could not be taken from them. Their humiliation and suffering welled up into worship as the thought of their Lord, who had already gone before them and was present with them there. I don't know everything that's happening in this room, but I know we are all living in the same vulnerable world where people have sinned against us and we have sinned against others. And there is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of difficulty and a full spectrum of that. But I know that if we'll let him, Jesus will meet us in those painful, weak, in those weaknesses in a special way um, that will give us more than we thought, uh, more than what the pain, what the suffering could take from us. It will be much, much more if we'll let him if our hearts will allow ourselves not to focus on what is being done to us or the circumstances around us, um, but to invite him in and to cry out to him. Because the Bible is full, full of people that were not content with their circumstances as they were, but they knew a God that they believed could come through. And they cried out to him. Psalm 27, nine says, Hide not your face from me. Turn your servant not away in anger. I believe I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. They weren't content with where they were, but they knew a God who was with them in the middle of it. And that's what we have. That's what the gospel tells us is that the kingdom of God is here and now. It's present. It's available to us. He is available to us. The King, Jesus and that there's a way that we know him in our suffering that is unlike any other. The last thing I wanna say is that a lot of us suffer um, not just through the pain of this world, but the distance that we feel from God. That we see how Betsy and Corey were filled with this unbelievable gratefulness and joy in the Lord despite all these circumstances. And what we see, whether it's connected to suffering and hardship um, or our life's going pretty good, but we're not experiencing joy and peace, righteousness, the, the intimacy, the delight in Jesus. I, I know that when I was in high school, kind of like Matt, I wasn't the coolest kid. This is gonna be really shocking. I wasn't the coolest kid in my high school, but I sure wanted to be and I sure tried hard. So I learned that what you went to is these concerts, so these local bands, they played um, these, uh, these shows at this, at just small little venues and you went to see these and there's the cool people were there. I quickly learned you don't call them a concert, you call them a show. If you call them a concert, you're found out. You're one of the lame kids. So I found that out really fast, learned to call them shows. So I went to shows all the time and I loved going to shows. 
Um, and I went, to, I remember going to my first show and there's this tiny little room, these huge speakers and this band gets up to play and um, it sounded just terrible. Like it was just, I mean, I'm an old man with kids now, but it sounded just like loud noises. Um, but as a high schooler who needed to be cool, I, like one of my cool friends, similarly the guy who had Jinkos and the cool hair, like Matt said, I leaned to him. I said, this, does, I mean, this, I can't, this sounds bad. And he told me, that's what it's supposed to sound like. So then I knew what I liked. I liked that because that's what it was supposed to sound like. So this is great. I love this. This is wonderful. This is exactly what I want. Um, so I kept going to shows um, because that's uh, what the cool kids do. Um, the reality is I didn't like shows, um, but I was told that this is what, the, what it's supposed to be like. And I think a huge lie of our enemy, when we are feeling this distance and disconnect, what our enemy wants us to do so badly is just to settle. It's just to say, this is what it's supposed to be like. No joy, no delight in God, no increasing victory over my sin, no peace. This is what it's supposed to be like. One day you're gonna go to heaven when you die. So just be content with where you are. Don't cry out to God. Whatever you do, don't cry out to God. This is what it's supposed to be like. I just, more than anything, want um, to encourage us, to commend us, because we, we're all gonna go through those times that we feel the lack of joy or the lack of love and delight in Jesus is not a condemnation. It's an invitation from him for more that the spirit of God is available to us. And if we don't see it, we don't even see it on the horizon. This is my least favorite weather of the year. I don't see rain like 25 days in the future and it is 105 degrees. I just wanna, I just wanna shower. I just want one storm to come over Winchester County and give me some rain, but I don't see it on the horizon. Um, and there is a, uh, there's a Puritan named Samuel Rutherford. His quote says, hunger for him until he fills you. He is pleased with the persistence of hungry souls. If he delays, do not go away. Fall a swoon at his feet. Every day we may see some new thing in Christ. I know that God's heart for us is not to lower our expectations of him. That is from our enemy. Lower your expectations because if you do cry out and he doesn't come through, you'll face that disappointment again. And God is looking for hunger. He's looking for us to cry out to him and say, I, God, I need you to come through. And I, it's been a while, it's been a long time and I'm tired. And saint upon saint, God's children upon God's children would say, be strong and courageous, wait for the Lord. Don't lose heart, wait for the Lord. So we're gonna have prayer team come up. Um, I know there's a lot that we talked about. There's a lot of weakness, whether it's our own sin and failure and just our need to lay it before God to receive his love. Um, whether it's just the pain and the hardship of this life that we're going through. And I, and I wanna believe God is working in it, but I just, it's hard to see. Or it's just, I feel so disconnected, no joy in God. And it's been so long and I, and I don't feel like fighting for it. I would just encourage you to come get prayer for that. Stay in your seat if you feel like that's what you need to do. Sing and worship if that's what you feel like you need to do. Um, but don't, 
If you feel like you need to come get prayer with someone, please do that. There's so much power in that. God wants to meet us, wants to meet us in our weakness. And the amazing thing is, God turns everything to worship. The joys of our life, we know the giver. The beautiful things we experience here. The pain, he's with us. He wants us to know intimacy with him. He turns everything to worship. And so um, I just want us to respond now, however he's calling you and however the Lord is speaking. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that our weakness doesn't scare you off, whether it's our sin, whether it's just the things that are burdening us so bad, whether it's the wrongs that have been done to us, whatever it is that's weighing on us, our weaknesses do not scare you. I just ask you would help us to bring our weaknesses to you tonight, and not just tonight, but moving forward, to not lower our expectations, but to believe that you are present, you are gonna move. We love you, in Jesus' name.